Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. We're uh, at the end of the year, so we're obviously approaching many anniversaries. Sorry, I'll start again. I'd introduce anyone. It's not Michael Manning on Monday, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea still. Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined as ever by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? I'm feeling very festive. It's, uh, it's a week tomorrow to Christmas. Crikey, you've got a, you've got a, what is it? A, 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 can, like a candy cane pen. A candy cane pen. I was trying to avoid the word candy because that's a hideous Americanization. It's, it's, a, it's a very, it's a festive pen. A ye olde sweet pen. Yes, it's a yule oh. pen. Well, oh, that's, that's good enough. <laughs> and also by Luke Perry, who yawned to the moment I started talking. We've, we've just entered the episode and you listeners are probably bored. And if you're not, the, uh, the contributors certainly are. Well... Thursday evenings and I'll go out and get pissed and we record this on Fridays and I'd also like to say that uh, is the oldest amongst us. He doesn't seem it at the minute in his festive chair. I'm very giddy right now, yeah. Yeah. I like Christmas. Because you don't have to spend, well, I'm not sure yet. It's my first time working in a in a paper over the Christmas period, but I'm, I'm very much imagining having to do, you know, the sort of royal Christmas stories and... Uh, all that sort of stuff. So maybe I'm slightly more miserable this time. I'm normally very, very excited about Christmas, I must say. Um, but yes, anyway, it's um, it's coming to the end of the year, as everybody will know, which is usually a time when anniversaries spring up since beginnings of years often seems to be the times that new ventures are created, including, of course, Bornbrook, um, which is going into either its third or fourth year. I can't remember. Fourth, I believe. Is it its fourth? I'm not sure. I think we we probably say established 2019, but that that might have been um that might have been when we started in December. No, it was it was 2019. Yeah, probably the fourth year. There you are. How exciting! Um, but also we're entering uh, the anniversary of the time that Boris Johnson became prime minister. In fact, we might have already reached that because the election was what December 3rd or something like that. Um, um, I'm not sure. I think it was. Yeah, I'll, I'll cut this out, but let me look, look into that. I think it was the third. It's like a date that's written in the dark area of my mind. 12th. Oh, well, there you are. Ignore that. Um, December 12th. So we, we have passed the, uh, the anniversary of that, of that day. And it was, it was sort of an interesting one, wasn't it? I mean, last year, everybody put the tweets up of, um, of Boris saying, this is, we're in 2020 now, it's going to be a great year. And that was sort of a, an ongoing joke through the year. Um, although, admittedly, the coming of a pandemic wasn't his fault, though, of course, the response was. Um, and it's been pretty disastrous, hasn't it? I mean, this last two weeks, certainly everything seems to be crumbling. We started with the, the party fiasco, the Downing Street party fiasco. Um, about a day later, the party got fined 18 grand for um, dodgy uh, donations around the redecoration of the Downing Street flat. We've just had a by-election in North Shropshire, uh, which was a, a safe Tory seat. I think from the, the, the moment it was created... From, from the 19th century, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. And it was won by the Lib Dems. Um, it's, it really is a pretty bad week, even to the point where you've got a lot of MPs saying they've just lost confidence in the Prime mm. Minister. Mm. A, 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 lot of, yeah, a lot of open lambast from, from, um, from uh, background MPs, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, we also had, I was, I like to see that the, the new MP for, I can't remember the by-election, another recent by, was it Bex, old Bexley and Spen perhaps, uh, the, the candidate who won that Tory um, voted against 
the lockdown restrictions, which is reckoned to be one of the quickest uh, rebellions against the party in which they've been elected to represent. So that's quite nice as well. I like that. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we, of course, were pretty miserable about Boris even before he was elected. Um, I can't remember exactly what the cover was, but I remember a cover with, I, I think it might have actually just been conservative in name only or something like that. It was uh, and had Boris on it. But I think a lot of people now are realising, especially with two years of um, uh, working to further erode liberty and perhaps most significantly recently with the introduction of vaccine passports, that a lot of the ideas we had about him or certain people had about him, I should say, were completely wrong. Um, so what do you think? Do you think he's going to stay in much longer? We're looking ahead to next year, I suppose now. Will he still be there by the end, by this point next year? If not, who might be possible contenders to replace him? Is there any any hope among them? Or is it uh, just as miserable as, as current? Well, let's compare his early premiership with today, right? So when um, his program was defeated and voted against, he removed the whip from, you know, a dozen um Tory MP, some of them stalwarts, um, deselected them for the next election. And now he's been rebelled against by, was it like 90 of his own party? Uh, Who are are openly calling him to be replaced. People are openly manoeuvring and he appears to have lost control of the party whip. Um, Obviously, you know, he had a stroke of luck in that Labour voted with him. But I mean, if it wasn't for that, his vote had been defeated completely. He seems to have lost control of the the party. both in parliament and in the grassroots um the people that i know who are still for the, for their for their sins members of the party seem to be done with him um i can't think of a single person right now i've met in the last few months who actually thinks he's doing a good job you know whether they be on the right or the left he's right now he's just generally despised i mean boris at the minute does seem to be just just a tv anchor he has his press conferences has his news briefings and this is what he's been doing for the past two years now his premiership has just been a constant state of crisis and power grabs and um i think there's just not not enough to um save save boris now i don't know how long he will last a few months probably but looking towards the future i uh, it will just be another boris in place because although what, 126 MPs rebelled against vaccine parcels. That's still a minority of the Tories in Parliament. And they will have to vote on selecting candidates to be voted as the next Prime Minister. No, it's a good point. I mean, it's there's been a lot of uh, talk about, you know, this is the biggest rebellion Boris has faced since elected. And I think, well, fine, but it was still a major loss for... Uh, I almost said lockdown sceptics, but on a measure like vaccine passports, it goes beyond that. It's just people who are pro-liberty. It's a, a massive loss still. Um, the figure of, what was it, maybe 90 Tories who voted against it or roundabout was still far too low. Um, so, yeah, it was it was hardly a win. But I must say, even, even after all this, I mean, actually, I don't think the vaccine passports thing is going to uh, cause much of a backlash even among the public um, I doubt it anyway I think the party thing might I think even that's going to get forgotten about um, maybe I'm wrong on that I hope I'm oh, I, I mean it, it, I don't know you guys but it seems clear to me that he he dead catted with with all the the new uh, the new sort of fear mongering around Omicron and the subsequent restrictions because you know yeah. it's important to note that these came in there, there appears to have been an internal u-turn 
within Downing Street. It was 12 hours after the revelations came out. I mean, uh, it's, we should not underestimate the, the the scandal of this. People are rightly furious. People, you know, again, people uh, people's loved ones died alone because of these rules. That you know, and, and there are now believed to have been nine parties hosted by the government, including one hosted by Simon Case, who's yes. investigating <laughs> the 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 parties that broke the rules. You know, it's like the, it's like the, 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 the mafia investigating itself. Well, just on, on the idea, I mean, quickly, one point is that um, there were, I think I, I read a lot of reports about journalists who were close to the government uh, saying that, you know, hours before the whole scandal broke out about the Christmas parties, the mood in government and in, in Downing Street was that new restrictions wouldn't be imposed yet. So there was the, the hinting that they'll be imp imposed, but they won't be imposed yet. Yet, as you said, Sam, as soon as the Downing Street crisis broke, the Omicron variant also became the world's biggest problem um, and something which we had to lock down again. So I, I do think you're right there. I think they would have imposed these measures anyway. I'm not saying that all of it was crafted for political purposes, but I do think that they brought forward that, that at least is, you know, that's what seems to be the case because these journalists, some of them are very close to, to people in Downing Street. They're close friends with them. In fact, I go further. What I was going to say, actually, since you talked about the mafia, was um so i was we talk about this a lot about how incestuous politics is and it suddenly struck me um that none of the key people in politics uh, other than carrie johnson maybe which is a rarity that seem to never change their surnames when they get married or perhaps they're not married maybe they're just partners because that's that's the way those those things go now because i was searching at the time um you know, you're writing an article and you're writing about Allegra Strass and do I write Ms. Whose who's, who's husband is the... Oh, cheers for that, Sam. Breaking oh. and announce it ahead of me. Look at this. Unbelievable. It's like, it's like I'm the government side. trying to talk about the our new Omicron announcement and you're a journalist who breaks the story before I've even had the chance. Yes. <laughs> no, usually, Curzon, you'd tell him to say it first well, <laughs> to get out his public support. In my, in, my, in my defense, I thought that was a prompt. <laughs> But yeah, you're right. Anyway, so his, uh, again, I, I'm not sure actually if they are married, but they are together in any case. Partner is James Forsyth, uh, the lead writer, or one of the lead writers at the Times, the Sunday Times, and he's one of the lead political writers as well at The Spectator. And then, uh, of course, when Dominic Cummings was in Parliament, his, uh, again, partner or wife, I'm not sure, uh, I also can't remember her name, but she's a key writer at The Spectator and a high journalist. Um, in every case, I mean, you've got the one of the main writers at The Sun used to be going out with the now uh, Prime Minister's wife. Harry uh, Cole. Uh, yeah, Harry Cole. Actually, speaking, speaking, of, uh, speaking of James Forsyth, do you know who his best friend is and who the godfather of his children is? Uh, no. Sunak. Right. There you are. <laughs> There you are. And it is a nice spider's web, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, you, there is a, obviously a certain point at which you say, well, actually, these people sort of spend their lives with each other, working, constantly doing interviews, always in the contact books, trying to gauge what's going on for stories and all this. But then there is a certain point where you think, well, hang on a minute. There isn't anybody, it seems, who isn't involved in this in this web. Um, and it's the point isn't that it's some big conspiracy thing. The point is that. Um, Obviously, they help themselves into the different positions because that's that's how humans seem to work. I mean, in fairness, it's how me me and Luke have worked today with various one job at least. Nobody's not listening, um, but it's um, it 
it demonstrates the extent to which the, the media narrative is just useless, really. So many of the key writers are so, in some cases, quite literally in bed with the people um, in the top positions that it's almost pointless listening to. Well, I've, I've drawn attention in the, in the past to the, the Fleet Street to Down Street pipeline, where it, it often goes Oxbridge, Fleet Street, uh, policy house and then parliament, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, John, it's Johnson, you know, that's where he, he came from, you know, the spectator, him from the, was it the Telegraph he first worked for? And then the spectator or the Times? It was one or the other. He got sacked yeah. from one and like two days later got hired by the other. Right, so, yeah. Yeah, he worked for a newspaper, then he was the editor of the spectator, then he became, was he MP before mayor? It, it was MP, then mayor of London, then MP, cabinet, PM. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, you, you can't expect the press to do their job on paper, which is to hold power to account when they come from the same institutions. They probably they probably drink in the same pubs. Yeah, they're they're, they're friends. They send each other Christmas cards, you know, and um and even you know the with the parties, the uh, supposedly the Telegraph and the Mail have the guest lists, but they aren't releasing them. Why? Because chances are their own journalists were there. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. I mean, it does make you wonder, you know, they're, they're saying who leaked the uh, the Downing Street story, who leaked it? Well, it was ITV's footage, wasn't it? They were filming it. They were rolling the tape. So they must have had it for a year. So I don't I don't know. So it, it was journalists just laughing along with Stratton. Yeah. So uh, surely the journalist would be hyper suspicious that she's talking about this party. Which, uh, of course, as we've known, we should have known about it for a long time that they were hosting it. And um, yeah, how can you exactly be a check on whatever institution if you are bound by blood and marriage to it? <laughs> yeah. If you go against it, you are excommunicating yourself from literally your entire life yeah, no, and it's, what it's, it's built up towards. It's the so, it's the information version of insider trading. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, it's it's not even that you can't say things because, you know, you might, uh, as you say, you're bound to them, so therefore you can't criticise them. Even regardless of that, you sort of take the emotive, if you're, if you're, say if you're James Forsyth, you can't write about um, Allegra Stratton without involving an emotional aspect, because clearly what happened uh, was very upsetting for, Allegra, uh, for, for Allegra Stratton and, you know, the resignation, what I think was genuinely on her part, uh, emotive um and and james living with that uh feeling wouldn't be able to sum up the current uh fury around the christmas party without in his own mind thinking well hang on a minute this has been taken too far people aren't understanding this perspective which is all very well and good i mean i i, I know the reason I, james Forsyth was in my head was because i was reading a piece in the times by him today and he, he didn't actually mention the the party scandal um but i think that is probably because he is he is tied to allegra stratton it's not because he didn't think it was important i'm sure because it's it's the talking point of everybody i mean we're entering the christmas period we're seeing uh christmas parties around the country being cancelled and a lot of people are saying well hang on a minute we uh are having to cancel this and some of them think it's justifiable because of the omicron variant fine whatever we're cancelling this but uh the party conservative party the government is probably likely to carry on partying anyway it certainly was last year uh, so it is a big topic and it's just omitted um and i think the the reason for that must at least in part be uh because of the sort of the personal ties involved hmm. yeah Which and, is yeah and, yeah i mean and also if i was trying i'd be i'd be sad too because you know basically she was the 
sacrificial lamb of the government. She was the she was she was the the the, the, the offering, right? Yeah, that's true. You know, because ultimately, yeah, I mean, she what she did was probably a sackable offence, but she was just joking about it on, on on a podium. She wasn't actually, you know, she didn't throw the party. She was probably there, but I mean, she didn't like, you know, she didn't be there with her husband. Yeah, she didn't. She didn't plan a party. Yeah, she that's a good point. She, that's she... a very good point. <laughs> that is a good point. Oh, I wonder if that's. It must have been a oh, invite your partners. Oh, someone's got to look into that. You oh, see, yeah, that's that's how parties work, isn't it? You, You've got a missus or a mister, you usually take them along. That, I mean, it might have been an after work thing, so maybe not. But that, again, that won't be asked in the media because so many of the media figures are that tied up. They wouldn't pose the question. I mean, that's a really good point, and it's worth discussing now. Mm. If we're talking about the media who was there, if you were thinking logically, you, you'd have to say, well, look, so we've already got one of the lead writers at The Spectation, someone at the Times who could have been there. There's going to be lots of relationships. I'm sure some of them are in the BBC and Sky News because it's just the way it is. Well, but Boris no spent point... many years in journalism yeah. and uh, oh, they lots, frequently yeah. see the BBC interviews an awful hell of a lot. So, yeah. Well, also, well, also the, the, the media are probably dead casting as well. Because if you, if you watch the, uh, the press conferences, their questions are clearly pushing for more restrictions to, to lockdown over Christmas. They're because they've uh, they've whipped up the manufactured consent for lockdowns while themselves probably going to these parties as well if not having their yeah. own well there's plenty of there's plenty of media figures aren't there Kay Burley hmm. who I think had to take time off work because she held a, a birthday party I think it was and, and someone else was there with her as well and you've got all of these um, all of the minor MPs as well who appear every day on on television and bemoan the conservative MPs for not wearing face masks in parliament while themselves not wearing face masks. Uh, yeah, Zara Sultana. Yeah, there's a, a picture actually today of Boris Johnson sat on the train about the face mask and, and uh, what's his name? J uh, Preston. Um, James, oh, is it? Uh, Preston. Robert uh, Preston. Rob, Robert Preston, yeah. Robert Preston. There's a picture of him before a press conference not wearing a mask. Yeah. And, and there's a video actually of Matt Hancock. Hello, I think it's Matt Hancock. A great video from last year of Matt Hancock or maybe earlier this year walking to Downing Street with his mask on outside and the moment he opens the door just before it closes the camera catches him taking it off now you know a lot of people will say oh well it's people forget to wear the masks and all this sort of stuff there is a point where you think well hang on a minute this is there's a fairly consistent theme here where people when they believe we should say the cameras aren't rolling because as Allegra Stratton has proved uh, you not believing the cameras are rolling well, she, she knew they were rolling actually but not believing it was being published is, is a very different thing from it actually not getting out when they believe they're not being seen, I should say, they don't abide by the rules. The moment they think they're being watched by people at home, people who um, you know look up to these people, they they view them as guides how to uh, of how to you know conduct themselves in a pandemic because it's a very foreign thing to us all. What what do you do in a pandemic? Everyone's wearing a mask, so maybe I need to wear a mask. They're all sort of part. They're they're not shaking hands. Maybe Maybe we need to do that to stay safe and save lives and, and protect the NHS. So these people they look up to, as soon as they're being watched, abide by these ridiculous measures that they themselves don't agree with. Yeah, and it's always either hidden cameras or passers-by who catch yeah. people, people out. So we're at Hancock, hidden camera. Uh, Pelosi, hidden camera. Gavin Newsom, or someone walking past in the street. Right, That picture of Johnson on the train, that, that was someone on the platform going, oh, here is a wearing a mask, bang. You know? It's... um. Yeah, when they think they're being watched, they they're hyper obedient because again, to them, they're you know sending the example. But once it comes off, you see nakedly how these people don't believe in the rules that they're putting in. 
Or the rules, therefore, lose all legitimacy. Yeah, exactly. It's you. Then you realize that it's punitive. You know, it's 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 a form of punishment. Um, you know, and they've never seen themselves as being beholden to the rules. You know, I mean, even even Cummings, even you know, the G twenty, they were all like hugging and you know close together without without any mask on. Bear in mind, this was still like the spring, so rules were still in place. Don't care about the rules that they put in place. Like as far as they're concerned, they're only they're only for plebs. Yeah. yeah, going back to a surprise photograph, it was part of the reason for why the government wanted to crack down on um not whistleblowing in its entirety, but uh, unwanted whistleblowing and leaking, which is and that was started because of course Hancock was um caught under a different definition of hands, face, and space. So um yeah. yes, the, the elite would want to be watched because they're very, most of them are very narcissistic, but they of course want to be watched just signalling their virtue without. And any follow through when the camera's aren't rolling. Yeah, and that's the, uh... true. Going back to the uh, the idea of this sort of incestuous web, it's sort of, I think what you said earlier, Sam, it strikes a chord as to why it's like that, which is the idea of, of you know, prep school, uh, one of the Oxford or, or, or Cambridge colleges onto a, a think tank into parliament and then, or Fleet Street, perhaps, then to the top. All that. I think a lot of it, um, when you think of politicians in times gone past, and I, I recently read a book um, called The Anatomy of Britain, which is really interesting. I read it because it, um, it covers the period when grammar schools were eroded, which is mainly what I was wanting to gain some information on. But it also told you, and, and in part, actually, this was partly a result of grammar school. I hadn't thought to mention this, but it is. Um, Parliament used to be made up of former union workers, uh, poorer people who had been risen above their ranks from uh, the ranks they otherwise would have achieved because of grammar school, um, people who worked in various industries. The point is, none of these things exist anymore. Um, unions are you know, essentially pointless because most of the industries are dead anyway. There's no lifelong industry or very few lifelong industries that people work in now, perhaps only a few. Um, of course, grammar schools aren't there, so most poor people um, in poor areas go through uh, pretty shoddy education comparatively and, and don't rise above where they otherwise would do. And that's, that's probably largely why we see a parliament like it is, where everybody is in bed with each other, um, as we say quite literally in many cases, because the people all have the exact same backgrounds, because there's now only sort of one road to achieve um, how do you put it, to achieve good influence, a wide influence, which you need in order to sort of get into Parliament. You, you could used to have, have got high up, worked in your local industry, became a member on the, the unions board, got high up on that. You've then got a lot of respect. A lot of people know you at that point. And if you put your name down to run for Parliament, a lot of people will think, oh, that guy's benefited me before. Whereas now the only people who really start to gain uh, that are business people who probably have pretty fortunate backgrounds in, in many cases, not all, of course, or people who go through private education, Fleet Street, uh, Parliament, and then Cabinet. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my mini unaccounted for, but uh, a proposed history of why that is the case. Yeah, and, so, and uh, at the moment, there's no way out of it, because, you know, what we're seeing isn't a perversion of liberal democracy, it's the term in a state. Yeah. You know, this is where it naturally ends up with this 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 uh sort of incestuous blob of oligarchy where it doesn't matter which arm of the establishment you're in you're still you're, you're all working 
towards the same end. Yeah, that's why the, 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 there's no friction between the mainstream press, the opposition, and the government and the civil mm. service. You know, it's all in complete lockstep because ultimately they've incubated in the same environment. Whereas people like the three of us or average people, you know, who who don't buy into all this crap, didn't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, that's true. Uh, and of course, as they've grown up in the same backgrounds, the same elite schools, elite institutions, mingling amongst themselves, of course, they get the same political ideologies. Yeah. They begin to conform against each other, which is again why there's a, there's a big lack of opposition. Because you know, why would you really heavily scrutinise your own side, particularly in this age of where partisanship sells? And also, going back to the the end point of, of democracy, it, it's promises you know, to secure liberty it hasn't promises to open the field of politics to everyone regardless of background that hasn't either because as has been seen in, across the, the world at this point is that democratic politics is basically dynastic and look across to the US briefly you've got two Bushes president one went for the nomination in 2016 you got Hillary Clinton it nearly became president and who knows that her daughter might get involved in politics or, and so or, you've seen it in this country as well with johnson yeah and um or even mil the miller bands yeah. the hillary yeah. Benz. Or, or even you know i i think it's very lucky that well at some point uh, michelle obama will run for office and you've got them you've got the kennedys um yeah these 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 elite dynasties who are so detached from normal life that you know they they think these you know grandiose utopian elites projects which basically turn us all into lab rats are, are you know are a, a normal thing to do yeah i mean it, it is worth saying there are scenarios in which not well maybe dynasties yeah fun there are scenarios in which that sort of thing is good um there sure. are cases where it's a good thing and i can think of some sort of today where it's a good thing but more generally i think the problem is not uh, dynasties yes it's the fact that the whole bloody lot of them are it's where every it's not like I mean you got the bends for example you mentioned but that I think then was it was quite rare to see um, someone you know where you got going down the generations like that in the Commons in the Lords obviously it was mandatory um, there's an argument as to why that might be a good thing in some scenario it's just where absolutely everybody and not just in Parliament but in the press um, in in the think tanks everywhere um, is is bound in the same background and. Mm -hmm. Uh, as you said, Luke, often bound by blood. Yeah, but also these people who are so powerful, so drunk of their own power that they've almost completed reality to the point where that they now feel like that they have permission to sit around and redefine what is normal. Mm. Yeah, and they get away with it because you know mo most most people just think this will end when it comes to a, a natural close, but it won't. Well, I think most people just don't think about it, which is understandable. Most people aren't political. They hear a little bit about COVID and then they just go on with their lives, um, which, you know, is, that's we're we're unusual for the fact we're interested in it. And we, we read and talk and uh, and listen to things about it all the time. Well, the, uh, the original sleaze scandal didn't wound the public, didn't uh, wound um, Johnson's image in the public by that much because it didn't directly affect the people. But then when the Christmas party scandals happening and the people knew about that, they're thinking, oh, no, I couldn't party last Christmas, but you could. And that's yeah. when um, you can really only affect politics oh, if it oh. happens on a very personal level to you. That's a really good point, yeah. But like, not just I couldn't party last year. I couldn't see my mum last year, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't say goodbye to my grandmother last year. Like, you know, 
people like everyone that I've spoken to about that, people who are normal, who aren't that politically engaged, are livid about that. Yeah, I think everybody. Yeah, I mean the Owen Paterson thing, that that sleaze scandal was overtly political. No one could have cared less. Yeah, it's, it, it's lobbying. The average person doesn't get that mad about lobbying. No, they they couldn't care less. Yeah. Um, maybe some local constituents, but I doubt even. I doubt it was that big of a problem even there. But yeah, you're right. If you can get people on a personal, emotive level, which is why it's important to point out just the amount of damage that's been done by lockdowns, not just on abstract things such as liberty, uh, but on on the fact that you've had people who have had to choose to die alone uh, so as to not uh, only choose one out of three children at their deathbed because COVID rules said only one person could be there or families split apart at funerals uh, the, after the death of a loved one because of social distancing rules or you know these these sickening the, the videos you know the videos they have where they say look how lovely this video is how heartwarming of two old people in a care home who've been separated for the last two years after like 70 years of marriage and are sort of in shock at seeing each other it's psychotic it is it's horrible it's like yeah. the, the worst yeah. videos in the world oh, <laughs> i can't believe yeah. people say how lovely they are i mean it's, like, it's gone sad. worse I, I i've seen i've seen you know oh um this grandmother seeing her grandchild for the first time it's first time and they're hugging through like a plastic sheet it's genuinely psychotic yeah it's horrible i can't yeah. think of anything worse like oh and, and even that you know there's the people taken away moments before the death but actually i think people should be sick of the fact that they they weren't even able to see uh the birth of and the the early development of their grandchildren not only see it but you're supposed to influence it the whole point of raising children is that there's other people around and that the, the traits not just of the parents but of the grandparents the aunties the uncles cousins so on and friends all get immersed into this young person that's how they're brought out into culture um and none of that is happening i mean you're seeing children's immunity to things being weakened because they've not been in the natural world for the past two years they've not been coughing and oh. sneezing on each other at nurseries and things like yeah. that the, now that that that's a medical version of the the cultural problem we will now find of people being even more uh, broken apart from each other than now you know not just of children not gained immunity to diseases by not being immersed through them they've also not been um properly brought into the culture because they've not been immersed in it they've been locked in also it. also they're they're mentally scarred um yeah. so sometimes i've heard of kids who you know who every time they, they walk past a, a hand sanitizer that they beg their parents to let them use it kids who you know will, will, will cry and scream if they're asked to remove their face covering these people are yeah, yeah, these, kids, yeah. these kids are absolutely scarred for life and they're going to carry that into adulthood and when they do and when they start you know calling the shots I mean, when they start writing laws, yeah, yeah, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, I think we've been miserable enough. Yeah, <laughs> <We>, uh, <laughs> I'm not. Feeling, I'm not feeling so festive anymore. No, I've brought you all to my level. <laughs> yeah, cheers for that, Luke. Thank you. I hope you were. Uh, Merry Christmas. Now we're. Yeah, it, it's we're coming to what episode is this now of the week in review? It's certainly been a long time we've been doing it. This, is, this will be episode 50, I believe. Really? Oh, well, happy 50th episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening, not just to this one, but to us more generally and reading the magazine if you do that. We'll see you in the new year. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, hope you've enjoyed it and cheers.